After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hey everyone, it's Raghu Marcus and Mind Rolling, and today I'm with my guru, Duncan Trussell. Gotta stop saying that. Hi, Krishna. Hi, hi. Hello. Yes, Duncan is visiting with Cora, who's hanging out on the bed next to us with a few dogs, and uh, we're happy to have you here in Asheville, North Carolina. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for the delicious lunch. Oh, welcome. Um, so, uh, you, do you still do these long, long intros where you, you talk about the different ways people can support Duncan Trussell family? Well, that's not the, hopefully not the meat of the intro. So I'll do these rambling intros, uh, and then sometime after the intro, uh, yeah, then I do whatever the whoever the sponsor is. I'll talk about the sponsor and then the Amazon portal and then any shows I have coming up hmm. is usually the structure of the thing. By the way, Duncan has a fabulous tour starting on March 30th here in Asheville and going on for at least a month. A month. Really? A month. Yeah. And, and ending at the retreat. That's it. The in, retreat is the end of my tour. Yeah. May 4th through 9th, everybody. Yeah. In uh, Maui. With Ram Das and uh, Lama Surya Das and Mirabai Bush and Duncan Trussell and um, Saraswati Marcus. Who doesn't fit in on that list of names? Who? Who? No, you're you're. It's you're part of the whole fabric now. Well, thanks, Raghu. It's the coolest thing of all time. Uh, It's really cool. But I'm just doing podcasts. I'm just going to interview them. That's the idea, right? Who are you going to interview? At the retreat? Just random people. That's what we should do. We should follow you around and do it like a live podcast where you just find you know, somebody, you sit at the table with them and, and just talk, rap to them. I think we'll it's a it. cool idea. That's a cool idea. Or just have a place where we can just do a podcast with people at the retreat. That would yeah. be really cool. Because yeah, co- that's my favorite. To me, that is now officially my favorite thing about the retreats outside of snorkeling. <laughs> And my ties. You're giving the wrong impression. My favorite thing is the conversation. You have the best conversations. You know ecstasy. You know the term ecstasy talk. No. So that's the term for when you take MDMA and you get into this incredibly embarrassing, intimate conversation with a stranger. That where often within three or four minutes you're just saying, you know, you're the most amazing person I've ever met <laughs> in my life. You get that at the retreat, minus the ecstasy. It's the identical 
process. And I would even wager that if you were, if you had the capacity to do it, not that you should, because no one wants to go to a retreat where you're getting MRIs, but if you could do <laughs> scans, some yeah. kind of scan of what's going on neurologically at these retreats and compare that to the brain of a person who's on MDMA, my guess They'd would be, be it'd be very similar. Same stuff's firing, same, right. same release yeah. of oxytocin, dopamine, whatever it is, whatever the neurological symptom of an it opening is. I am sure you're absolutely right. Seriously. All right, but we have to, people out there, we're going to make this short because uh, we have to move on. We have a lot of wonderful things to talk about. I'm sure. We'll I'm find sure. something. And <laughs> what we need, those again, support, supporting Mind Rolling and MindPod Network. And we have huge news coming up, by the way. In the next couple of weeks, MindPod Network is announcing a merger of sorts or a collaboration that's going to be really, really fantastic. Oh, this is really cool. This is the thing. You guys are teaming up with the Donald Trump campaign, right? Yeah. I didn't know you knew that. I hope I didn't leak that too soon. Yeah. Um, but uh, so w big news is coming. And uh, meanwhile, we have the Amazon portal and we need you to go over there and purchase everything that you normally purchase, right? And and Duncan, you have a new thing. Is it on Amazon yet, the selfie stick thing? Oh, yes, right. So for those of you, I know many of you listen to this uh, podcast, are meditators. And one of the most frustrating things for me when I'm meditating is that generally nobody can see me meditating. And so I don't get any benefit from people realizing how incredibly enlightened and spiritual I am. So... We are in development right now with a selfie stick for your meditation cushion, which will it'll attach to most well-known meditation cushions. Safus, most well-known. Most Safus, yeah. yep. And basically the idea is you, you put your iPhone in the selfie stick and intermittently as you're meditating, it actually, the advanced versions are going to do facial scanning so we can see when your face looks the most spiritual. <laughs> Bam, they take a picture, instant upload to Facebook, and it'll pick from a variety of quotes right. from great spiritual masters. So you get these wonderful meaning. It actually sounds absolutely fantastic and, and serves one, it serves the exact, it's like bizarro meditation device because it's the opposite. It makes you somebody rather right. than... That's empty. the idea. No one, the thing about meditating is no one, they've, they've done a study, no one likes it to meditate. <laughs> and the only thing that's good about it is if people know you're meditating, and that's right. it. Just Don't. status. Mindfulness is kind of the same thing, yes. Well, this is the idea, is I'm developing an entire competitive meditation program. So <laughs> you can actually compete with your friends. It's like Fitbit, where you know how yeah. far you've walked. Right. Well, this will actually show how much your friends are meditating. And through a judgment meter, you can actually... A judgment meter. That's what it's good. called, the judgment meter. So you can tell if your friends haven't been meditating much, right. if they're fixating on their phones or something that isn't spiritual then you can see that and the thing will allow you to go or to, to jeer at your friends who aren't right. meditating enough. Perfect. Uh, but unfortunately, folks, it's not available on Amazon just yet. Not Duncan yet. is developing it and I'm sure there's a bunch of us who want to be investors in this thing. So write to him. We are looking to, for investors right now. Right now we do have some investors. Uh, Halliburton and Monsanto are backing the project, <laughs> yeah. but we could use any other help that we can get. Okay, good. 
and other than that, obviously going to to Amazon and purchasing whatever it is that uh, that you do need. And we usually have recommendations. I've been lacking in in those recommendations in the last couple of weeks. Uh, actually, uh, bidet. The bidet. You the can Japanese always recommend one. a bidet. No, the Japanese toilet is. If I was going to do anything, <laughs> is the most fantastic toilet. It has a bidet in it for the other way, for the other thing. And uh, and it, it, in India, they're all over the place. And they're the greatest. Uh, I was once in a I roomed with a friend of mine, a lawyer from Los Angeles, Budri. And uh, it had one of these Japanese toilets, which cleans you with water, shooty, so you don't. Because in India, there's no toilet paper. It's really bad. Yeah. It's really a toughie. So we were there for a while. He was really happy about it because he was scared. He hadn't been to India in a long, long time. So he was really pretty scared. So it came a time when they said, okay, I think we want to move your room to across the valley. And uh, be, for somebody's coming, needs this room, whatever. He said, absolutely not. I'm not going anywhere. I can't leave this toilet. Right. He was so... I, you can blame him. Yeah. I got one conversation. I, when I went, the one time I went to India, I got in this great conversation with an Indian man. And we were, I, I was at, this was in Dharamsala. There's a graveyard there. There's a church. And I was in this graveyard in Dharamsala and talking to this Indian guy. I don't, we were just hanging out. It's a pretty graveyard. And we're talking and he's really nice. And something I've been wondering a lot about is the lack of toilet paper and the fact that they feel totally cool wiping their ass with with their hands and washing so I, water with water water and well, yeah, not just the hand yeah. so i said to him what about toilet paper don't you feel weird doing that and he said and i'll never forget this he said if i what would he said to me what would you do if i smeared shit on your cheek right now <laughs> and i he's like would you just use paper to wipe it off would you? Would you just no. go and get a Kleenex and just wipe the shit off of your face? No, you would. You would use water. Is this real? This is real. Yeah. He said, but you know, he's like he was saying it. He's like in this great English, sophisticated accent. I'm messing it up, but he's like, you would use water, and you would use a cloth, and you'd use your hand, and you would wipe it off of your face, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Wouldn't you? If you just used Kleenex, it would be disgusting. And I, ever since then, I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. Westerners are disgusting. We're just using paper. We're just using just dry paper. Just, ugh, just oh, yeah, you're totally fine. Just wipe it with dry paper. No. Get a bidet. Listen, no this offense. This is available, by Your way. Amazon commercials, we got to crank this up, man. Here's yeah. the point with Amazon. You don't have to leave the house anymore. No one wants to leave the house. There's Zika virus, the remnants of Ebola. <laughs> there's terrorism, traffic pollutants cops you're stoned probably you don't want to drive when you're stoned to get anything if you can go if you depending on what city you're in amazon will deliver it to your house in two hours or the next day so go through the mind rolling amazon portal bookmark it go through there immediately get a bidet and welcome to paradise it's a japanese toilet Any it's bidet not is just good. a well, no, it has. They have to have the aim placed correctly. If it shoots well. water in your butt, it's good. <laughs> you're, it's good. Okay. You're fine. Now you, there are. Do you have one? Of Absolutely. The house we moved into came with an old school, and which is fantastic. But the, um, the one I had was a working man's bidet from Home Depot, like what a construction worker might use. But then also you can get the advanced bidets, which I have. My friend has one, which will actually the water will shoot out and. and 
patterns so you get okay. in. Okay, all right. This is way too much detail. All right. all right. So the other way to support everybody is through, of course, through our donations. You know what many people are doing for us now? What? That's really fantastic. They're doing recurring donations of small amounts, of like $9, which is a sacred That's cool. number, right? And uh, that, because if we get enough people doing that, that really goes a long way to support the, the monthly activities. And Right. Yeah. So that's the other way. Thank you for doing that or the other thing or going to the store. We've got this mindfulness box, which I should give you one. As, as what is it? It's a box that has... <laughs> Uh, Excuse it's me. got everything you need as a starter kit for mindfulness and meditation. It's got a mala. It's got a picture of Hanuman and Buddha that you can put on your puja. It's got incense and an incense holder. It's got a Thich Nhat Hanh book. Oh, that's cool. And a Pema Chodron book. Wow. And it's got a prayer shawl. And it's so it's a one and a beautiful Indian box with you know velveteen. It's really nice. Okay. Two Xanax. Two five milligram oh, Xanax <laughs> tablets. Yeah, no, we of course everybody we wouldn't do it. Um, so that that's another thing you can do to support us. All right, that's fantastic. Yeah. Great. Okay. Now I I just want to talk about there's a segment that that we've done before and uh, I haven't done it in a while, but I thought you might like to hear about this. It's called the end of the world. News from the end of the world. Okay. okay. North Carolina, where I live and where you were born, Duncan was born. I was nearby. born in Georgia. Oh, you're born, L in Georgia. but I grew up in North Carolina. Okay. So yeah. So he he grew Hendersonville. up. Hendersonville. Yeah, which is near Asheville. North Carolina town bans solar so, solar energy. Bans solar energy for fear it will suck up all the energy from the sun. <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. What's the name of the town? I'm going to tell you. Something odd is going down in the old North State. Once the relatively blue island in a sea of red, North Carolina underwent a conservative takeover in 2012. So this is real stuff, by the way. Which led to the introduction of some embarrassing legislation. There was the motorcycle abortion bill. The, the bill that made nip slips a felony. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. The one that banned Sharia law. All right, yeah. that's good. So the repeal of the Racial Justice Act. Got to okay. do that. Get rid of that thing. And the bill that allows guns in bars, because the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a drunk guy with a gun. That's right. Protect plus, yourself. Plus, there are notable residents that we have. The Planned Parenthood shooter. Okay. Right. The Olympic Park bomber. Yep. who hid out in the National Forest for five years, and this guy who insists that Sasquatch has 12 fingers and beautiful hair. That's true. I've seen him. Things have gotten so bad there that William Salatin recently wrote in, the, in Slate, forget Syria, the most dangerous <laughs> religious extremists are migrants from North and South Carolina. Well, that's a liberal commie saying that. Yeah, probably. You Look, Raghu, I hear what you're doing here. You're up here in your nice little mountain house enjoying the freedoms of this country and, and, and with your hippie podcast, and uh, you're trying to tell people that it's bad to carry a gun in, the, in a bar. And you're trying to tell people solar panels don't suck up the sun because you're part of the leftist liberal agenda that wants to put all these solar panels all over the planet, drain the sun dry, 
So it turns into just a dead ball up there, and everything withers, and the next thing you know, B-Rock Obama takes full control of the planet because it's gone into an ice age. Mm. Um, <laughs> this, what is your name, sir? <laughs> William Shatner <laughs> Jr. <laughs> He's from Toronto. Yeah. Okay, forget it. Uh, so the city, by the way, is called Woodland. Mm. Population, 809 people wow. are there. And they rejected a solar farm and put a moratorium on new solar construction due, the, due to the unconventional, shall we say, concerns from local residents. Right. But, you know, you got to understand something, Raghu. This is, I don't think people are quite aware of how easy it is for society to collapse into that kind of insanity, that we are just a few blackouts away a few power grid failures away from people like that taking control. It's really easy. It can happen so quickly. We're in this wonderful paradigm where everybody's existing in a kind of modern, scientific um, uh, paradigm where we use em empirical data to determine whether things are right or wrong, true or false. But you can very quickly slip right back into those kinds of time periods. You know, when, when you when you look at the at what's going on with ISIS or when you look at these reality tunnels that bubble up that are based on these very ancient systems of thought that have nothing to do with the reality that we're exact what we're living in, you can see people don't care about facts. To me that's something that's very frightening. I remember once when I was in uh at Warren Wilson going to school there was a big blizzard and the power went out for a couple of days and you could see generators blowing up you know you could see they would, they would see these green explosions it was really surreal and 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 i kept thinking man if it was like this for more than a week maybe a few months maybe six months how much would society change how much would we base artists how long you can tell a lot by why you're where you live with a simple question how long when the power does the power have to stay off before people start burning witches. And that town, I'd say about three <laughs> hours before someone's getting dragged out yeah. and ignited. Yeah, right. And it can yeah. happen just like that, too. That's oh, terrible. All right, this is, uh, you're depressing me. How is that depressing? It's not happening, you know. Oh. It's, it is depressing. Well, yeah. that's where, I mean, I don't it's know. It's so real that it, it, it is symptomatic so endemically throughout society in one way or the other, some way more subtle. And some gross, like this insanity with these people. Well, you just have to get scared. I mean, if you look at one, I just read this uh, or listened to an audiobook on Genghis Khan. And uh, one thing I didn't know is that the Jews were blamed for the Black Plague. Did you know that? No. So the, the, at one point, Jews, Jews are al always have had a rough go. But at one point, Jews were being murdered in mass because they were being blamed for the bubonic plague. And when you see and, and people, you know, I don't I I think one thing when people think, oh, the dark ages, they think people were somehow different from us now. And I don't think they were that different. I think they had the same motivations, the same wants, the same ambitions with a different symbol system to articulate their idea mm. of the universe. But the same the machine was the same. Maybe the operating system was different. You know something? I have a book. This, it's a huge book, and I have not been able to read it. 
and I don't have the author's name or the title on my tip of my tongue, but what is it, a, it is about is it goes back historically, all the way back, and runs a thread to contemporary times. We are so far less violent people on the earth than we've ever been before. Right. Now. Can right. you imagine that? Yeah. We are far less violent now than any time in history. Well, you know, and I, I, I love those statistics, and they're very promising. And a lot of, you know, there's a great book called Abundance. Uh, I can't remember the author's name. But it's it basically seeks to dispel the Fox News mm-hmm. paradigm that gets put put out there that we live in a in a in a world of like horror and danger and doom and destruction statistically people are living longer there's more food more water there's people are you know if you look at the um little wins little wins like if you under like so for example if a a village in africa suddenly gets power just gets the ability to have a light bulb inside mm. That's a big deal. That's Huge, a big yeah. deal. So from that POV, we're better. Now, there's another POV, though. My friend Chris Ryan, who wrote this great book, Sex at Dawn, he's got a new book coming out called Civilized to Death. And his POV is no, 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 no. This is his concept is that actually, ever since we became an agrarian society, things have gone south and that Mm. people, hunter-gatherers had much better lives. They worked less than 20 hours a week. They were healthier than we are now that the idea that people only lived to 30 or 40, that all happened post-agrarian revolution. When people were traveling, they lived longer. So he has a very grim outlook on what's happening right now, which is like, okay, maybe there's less violence, but how do we define violence? What do you mean by violence? Look at the Iraq, look at what had just happened, the, the civilian casualties in the Iraq war. Look at what's happening in Syria. Look at, look at, so it's like, well, vi- we're defining violence in different ways now. So maybe we're saying violence is when someone dies from a bomb and we're not, talking about what happens after Absolutely. you know so who knows it's yeah. there are two different ways to look yeah. at it i i and, tend to view things more like in, in but other, it was kind of amazing when you know you, you read and you live every day through all the media what's really going on and it's pretty horrific and you see somebody's actually done a study and it's been worse so it's uh you know pretty unbelievable oh right and by the way um and talked about imagine if you had no electricity what would happen after a few days you would have a lot of reactive shit going on in your life and in your head right it would be a very difficult thing so i was in india last fall and i ended up somewhere for four days no electricity no bathrooms now i was going in and out so it was you know the all basically the daylight time that i was there there was something really different in the atmosphere without electricity. Right. And never mind the bathrooms, but without the electricity, it was uh, pretty amazing. And uh, I, I th- you know, now there's movements in, in the States that I know of, one on the West Coast, where you drop everything, you go to a camp, right? And there's no electronics whatsoever, nothing. Yeah. You have to leave your phone and, and, uh, and that's it. And uh, those are probably pretty healthy things to do 
given what's going on, of course, in the way that we're entrapped by our devices, which, you know, it's pretty, pretty horrible. I don't know why I was thinking of this, but you just mentioned because because it's you're ta we're talking about so the the there's the various movements in the world right now. And there's the tr what's called the transhumanist movement, and the transhumanist movement, or or I think they call themselves H plus. This is something that you could say Timothy Leary was. Uh, I, I think it, it would be fair to say he was a transhumanist. His you know smile smile S M I squared L E. Uh, well, how that stands for smile, uh, space migration, intelligence enhanced, and I don't remember what the LE is for. I used to know uh, mm -hmm. space migration. But his idea was, look, we are in a chrysalis phase here. Society is in a chrysalis phase. Uh, everything's breaking down in the same way that a caterpillar starts breaking down in the chrysalis, pre-transforming into a butterfly. We're seeing everyone merge together. We're looking at exactly what happens when a being is in a transformational stage. You could even say, for example, if you look at, at, at the developing fetus, you could look at the fetus, uh, the being that the fetus is one month in versus two months, three months, and you begin to see a... Um, a, 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 a shift in the thing as it becomes what it's supposed to be. But in every phase, the thing is going through a kind of death. You could look at a child versus an adult. And, and many people mourn when their kids grow up because that sweet, be my nephew, my sweet little nephew who loves horses and is the most adorable, amazing being I've ever seen. This is a temporary being. This being will not stay in this dimension in that form for very much longer. He's maybe five years, two years, three years. I don't know the development of a child, but in the same way, this being will go away. So when people mourn for the past hunter-gatherer times, pre-technology times, they're mourning for the infant uh, human. And this is I'm saying this is the transhumanist perspective. And what's happening here is that we have developed a symbiotic relationship with an emerging life form, which is technology. Technology is an emerging life form that is being born from the imagination of humanity that is soon going to have its own consciousness, its own sense of self. And like all, you know, like what we started out as single-celled organisms that developed symbiotic relationships with other single-celled organisms becoming multicellular organisms or the way we function right now, which is that inside of us, our microorganisms that are 100% necessary for us to live. We are gut bacteria. If you don't have that, you're done. Uh, and depending on what kind of colonies you have in there, it's gonna determine your health. They're saying that they, they think that some forms of autism can be blamed on the types of uh, overpopulation of certain colonies of bacteria inside your stomach. So, and there's also speculation that our cravings are based on not our own free will, but on these other organisms living inside of us. Uh, the human being is described as a tree with mushrooms growing from the base and vines wrapping around it with flowers growing out of the vines. That's what we are. We are a hive of various organisms. So this technology is a new organism that is, rat, is forming a symbiotic 
And it, when it gets out of balance, a parasitic relationship with the life form called the human being, mm. but as it progresses, it's blending together. Mm. If you watch the path of technology from when the computer was invented, you have these massive machines that shrink, 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 shrink. Then it became the desktop computer. Then it became the laptop computer. Somewhere in there, it became the phone, as we call it. It's not a phone. It's a pocket computer. But what, we, what you'll actually witness is this giant thing, if you were to press fast forward, shrinks down, gets on your desktop, turns into a laptop, turns into a phone. So you see this thing actually move. Morphing. Morphing, but yeah. climbing onto us. The phone climbs onto us, then that turns into uh, the headset, which is eventually going to become neural prosthesis, which is eventually yeah. going to blend completely into us. So the whole point is mourn the past as much as you want. But it doesn't matter because we are transforming into this thing that we're about to become, which is the ultimate marriage between inorganic and organic matter. And that is, I think, uh, what is known as a singularity or yeah. the apocalypse. Yes. I want to talk about dogs now. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Life extension. Thank you. The last part of SMILE is life e extension. Space uh, migration, intelligence squared, and life extension. Uh -huh. This is what we're all moving towards. Life extension is this, a very important This is part. Tim? That's Tim Leary, yeah. Tim. Okay. Since we're sitting here with a bunch of dogs, okay, it made me want to talk about a dog. Uh, here, here's an, uh, which is going to get somewhere else. We're going to morph this Great. thing to something else. Uh, so there was somebody, this is called True Love. And uh, I think we're all going to relate with this. Uh, are we born with fears? Are we born happy or sad? Are we born needing to be loved unconditionally and comforted throughout our lives? Okay, this is the premise. Yes to all of the above. But who will comfort us without asking for anything in return? Who? A mother, maybe. But a dog, for sure. Right? Mm -hmm. So uh, this person wrote this article. Her name is uh, Mara Coleman, And she was totally scared shitless of dogs. Okay, as she grew up. Then uh, her husband got terminally ill, and they had two young children, and so it was a grim, grim horror. And somebody said, why don't you get a dog, because at least the dog will comfort the children, right? The dog would be a, a mood elevator. So they got a dog, they named him Pete, and he was the mood elevator that we hoped would be here for the entire family. And he did, and her husband died. The dog became her constant companion, confidant, muse, therapist, teacher. And he acted like a dog, but he was all those other things. And then he, in a few years, it was Pete's turn to go. Mm. Right. And she hasn't been able to replace him because mostly she's just been dealing with this broken heart. And she says at the end of this, our loved ones leave us, and we are shocked to discover that the world goes on, and there is, there is even fun and merriment, but there's nothing to replace the unconditional love of a dog. Right. right? 
So everybody's experienced that. And we have it in spades here all around us. Yes. We've got three of them right here. And at the same time, so many people ask me, and this is back to the origins of what we've been talking about related to consciousness and spirituality and more from when we were at the retreat in December. Yes. You and I talk about this a lot. And people say, well, you had that unconditional love experience, right? And so it's it would be easy for you to have that kind of relationship and extend it out beyond yourself. Right. But we, Pete Holmes, right? It's his whole premise. Yeah. You've seen and touched that thing. We haven't. How do you expect us to have that experience? We right. can't. Ha- and so I read this article and I thought to myself, people, everybody has this experience. <laughs> Obviously, mother may be the most, you know, defined way yes. that a person feels unconditional love. But certainly dogs, animals, particularly dogs. Right. And so I just, I ask you, I mean, you can build on that trust of that unconditional love to extend it beyond the dog and extend it into your own self and other people if you should work on that. Absolutely. Well, you, you know, I'm, and this sounds like it doesn't connect, but it does. I I love to watch these primitivist videos. They're, They're on YouTube. They're really cool. But you see just like, it's this guy. I don't know where he is. He's out in the woods somewhere. But man, he can take any, he like has a little hut that he's built out there with a warming floor. It's a beautiful thing. Look it up. It's called Primitive Technologies. He's got all these YouTube videos. And so, uh, but he shows, you know, you, you see all the clever ways that you can make a fire out of nothing, right? So you're out in the woods. If you, if you, and there's different ways to do it. Obviously, we all know friction. Well, eventually, you know, if you have enough friction, you can create a fire anywhere, anywhere. All you need. It's so funny. Listen to that cheesy, um, God can't can't start a fire. Oh, uh, yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Cheesy. You need a spark. It's Bruce. Can't start a fire. Well, yeah, I know, but he's always having a midlife You're crisis. You're just dancing in the. Dark. I don't like. I like him, but I, it's like hard for me to like. I'm a. It's whenever I hear him sing, I always just imagine him hitting on Cora. <laughs> That's his. Duncan's, it's just a nightmare, uh, Corey. I just think you know if Bruce Springsteen. Here. It's a nightmare. If Bruce Springsteen starts hitting on anyone, they it stinks. But anyway, I always I get jealous. It makes me jealous because he's just so like raw and like I just imagine this like sick, older, horny dude who's unstoppable, <laughs> like a cyclone just descending on your girlfriend Jeez. at a bar, and you're like, can't start a fire. We feel it. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, the okay. point is, you he need needs help, Cora. <laughs> Really? The point is, you need uh, in that song. He's like, it's really cool. It's a very sweet thing he's saying. You just need a little spark. So the, the whole point is, a dog can be the spark from which you can extrapolate all levels of spiritual understanding. Not just the feeling of having that love, because once you have love, all you need is the is the all you need is the 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 raw matter right? That's all you need. You just need the thing itself. So once you have the thing itself, whatever it may be, like if, for example, if I give you uh, a computer chip and you're more, you're advanced enough 
from just analyzing the computer chip, if you were smart enough, you could unfold that thing and understand so many different aspects of technology. You could understand physics, engineering, you could understand so much from that. So in the same way, you love, no matter how you get it, it doesn't matter how you get it, what container it comes in is a better way to put it. If I give you gold in a wooden box, if I give you gold in a steel box, if I give you gold in any kind of container, it's still gold and love. It's the exact same way. You can unfold it. You can start unfolding it. And so as ridiculous as it sounds, my dogs have helped me understand Neem Karoli Baba more <laughs> than was... more than any retreat, more than no. any... No, really? I'm not even kidding. I mean, obviously yeah. I had to go to the retreats to even have any idea about what the thing was, but one of my greatest encounters with a disembodied Neem Karoli Baba happened when I was stoned, sitting in my kitchen, and the dogs and the cat were sitting around me, and I'm, I'm thinking, God, I love these creatures 100% with all my heart. I can't remember anything that they've done that bothers me, anything that they have done that bothers me. I've fully forgiven them for every time they pooped or peed on the floor. <laughs> every time they, I, all the times I've had to take my Oriental rug to get it washed. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, I love these. I love these creatures. And then I started, then I thought, maybe this is how Neem Crowley Baba felt about everybody. Whoa. I bet he felt like that about every single being that came into his presence. And then that was when, as I was thinking this, there was just this moment where I felt like I was with him. In that moment, it was like a weird breadcrumb trail that suddenly mm -hmm. led to this experience of being in his presence, feeling like he was there fully. And, uh, I, I can't explain any more than that, but mm -hmm. it was so incredible. I'm talking about it now, but it's such an intense experience that I don't think I talked about it for for a while. Mm -hmm. And but it was just such an amazing thing. But what I'm essentially what I'm saying is, yes, love of a dog, you can use that as the primary equation as pi. Mm -hmm. It's like the equivalent of pi. You can use the 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 circumference of a circle to unravel a never-ending string of beautiful numbers that can teach you everything about the universe. And that's why dogs are a great thing to have. But we do have to clarify, I think, love. Uh, love that doesn't need anything, which they call unconditional love. So that nobody's looking for anything coming back. It's a one-way street. That's right. Although... This dog, these dogs that are right here, they sure will bug your ass until you start patting them. That's right. I guess it means something. Yeah. Uh, quid pro quo. Well, you, you need both. I mean, you have to understand when you're talking about the guru devotee relationship, it is, you need one to have the other. You With no devotees, you know, you can't have, there. if everyone was Neem Karoli Baba, there would be no interplay there and that well, there wouldn't be anything because there's no need to have a body or anything and you're just all part of that one one molecule no thanks it's so much more fun to have this i guess it's called a leela it's so mm -hmm. much more fun to have this interplay and i think this is where you get into the conversation of um bhakti versus gyan 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's different predilections, but, you know, I would much rather have a dog that actually does want something for me. Or it's it's nice to give something. Well, like, we have our Indian dog Kenchi, right? She doesn't seem to need very much from us at all, right? And she, she uh, my wife, brought her back. Saraswati brought her back from India, and from Kenchi, from where we were with Neem Karoli Bama, and she she seems to be absolutely some kind of yogi soul in this dog body because all she does is she's alone she's never with us she's always wanting to be by herself she'll check in mostly with saraswati to see okay everything's okay and that's about it so this is somebody that's way different you know and it's sure anyhow dogs that was the whole purpose of that do you know who uh arthur c brooks is no, I don't. Really? This is an interesting thing. And David and I um, have talked about stuff that he's written. He writes for the New York Times. And unfortunately, unfortunately, he's part of, there's a, he's a Republican. Yes. And he's part of, uh, there's a foundation of thinkers. And I can't remember. It's, it is to the right, though. It's it's yeah. definitely to the right. But he writes the most beautiful humanistic articles that are really that really grab you. And this particular one uh, I think it's a subject that you are pretty interested in and and believe in a lot as a spiritual practice. Um so he, it's about gratitude, right? Yes. And he talked about um like particularly he was, I guess, at a Thanksgiving dinner and, and it came up, should you celebrate this holiday? If you don't really feel grateful, it's just you're having some turkey and some pie right. and, you know, it's, it's just a, hey, we're getting together, right? Yeah. I stumbled over this last question. At the time, I believe one should feel grateful in order to give thanks. That was the premise that he okay. had, had. To do anything else seems somehow dishonest or fake. Right. A kind of bourgeois saccharine insincerity sorry yeah that one should reject it's best to be emotionally authentic right wrong building the best life does not require fealty this is far out when i read this to feelings in the name of authenticity yeah does not require but rather rebelling against negative impulses and acting right, even when we don't feel like it. Act, even it's when beautiful. In a nutshell, acting grateful can actually make you grateful. Yeah. For many, you, this is right in line with your... 100%. For many people, gratitude is difficult because life is difficult. Even beyond deprivation and depression, there are many ordinary circumstances in which gratitude doesn't come easily. So uh, this is real gravitas. Beyond rotten circumstances, some people are just naturally more grateful than others. A 2014 article in in Social Cognitive and Affected Neuroscience identified a variation in a gene 
associated with gratitude. Mm. Some people simply have a heightened genetic tendency to experience, in the researcher's words, global relationship satisfaction, perceived partner responsiveness, mm. and positive emotions, particularly love. That is, those relentlessly positive people you know who seem grateful all the time may simply be mutants. Oh, God. <laughs> we are more than slaves to our feelings, circumstances, and genes. Evidence suggests that we can actively choose to practice gratitude and that doing so raises our happiness. All of it's great until it gets into the genetic predeterminism bullshit. Like, I hate that. There's nothing worse than like, yeah, sure, it's a gene that makes you grateful. It's the moment you do that, you turn everyone into some kind of biological robot, remove autonomy. It's awful. I don't like that part. I, I don't feel think... like I'm I'm missing that gene. You, you you don't feel grateful all the time? No. Well, you're... I have a hard time. <clears throat> well, I, I have to work on that. Let's get into the existentialist perception of what a human being is, which is that <clears throat> existence precedes essence. You ever heard that before? Existence precedes essence? No. Jean-Paul Sartre. Oh, yes. Which means that the example he uses is a paper cutter. Is a paper cutter. Like, you know what it is. It know, it, it, Its purpose is to cut paper. That's it. It's a paper cutter. Human beings, we don't have an innate thing. There's a an, an essential, and in Buddhism, in, in this kind of existentialism really meet because it's this idea of an, an empty self. It's an empty self. So uh, this means that you are not born as anything. You're not born, you're not born as a grateful person. You're not born as an ingrate. It means that in every single moment, you get to decide what you want to put out there. Well, wait a minute. There are inclinations through previous lifetimes stuff that still needs to be worked out that affects your uh, your personality, your ego structure, sure. all of that. But you, in every single moment, <clears throat> you get to decide how you're going to be. You're deciding. You're not, I don't believe that the way in general, unless you, uh, you know, I, I suppose that there could be all kinds of examples of where a person's autonomy has been eradicated by, what we call mental illness, intoxication, and this is why there's different degrees of murder based on did you make was there pre, or did, what did they say did you have motive before did you plan it that's the worst kind of murder where you spend some time getting a hitman to get to premeditate premeditate right so there's already like in law uh, an acknowledgement of the fact that in certain cases there is no autonomy there because the person's been overcome by rage fear intoxication or mental illness and the insanity defense fine but in general in any given moment, you are making a decision about how to act, and there is no it, there, the, the 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 there is nothing more than pure freedom inside of you. So, the and this is very important because otherwise we all become moats of biolog biologic material being driven by some kind of physics engine that we don't understand yet. And all autonomy has been completely eliminated. This is when you get into Skinnerian behaviorism. This is where you get into the world of like, no, you're not even making your decisions. <clears throat> so I don't choose to believe that. And so I love what he's saying because I think the other version of it, the people who decide that they're going to act the way they feel, 
these are to me then you've basically become a form of human diarrhea which is that really i think it's like a kind of diarrhea which is that you're just spewing out whatever happens to be rolling through you at the time these are the same people who believe that there's one self these are the people who believe oh yeah it's just me this is who i am or the people are like i'm not like that you know the people are like this is like a class i've heard people say this i forgive but i never forget because that's what I'm like. You know, that kind of... John Wayne? No, there's people who say... There's a person who has a script that they've written for themselves, mm-hmm. and that's who, and they're going to live according to that script. They try to be this unwavering ego identity that never changes, and they don't realize that they are, as Gurdjieff puts it, um, and he uses the parable of the uh, master returning to the manor. Do you know about this? Do you know this parable that Gurdjieff gives? No. So there's a, like, imagine the Biltmore House. <clears throat> imagine the Biltmore House here in North Carolina. For those of you who don't know, there's this, the largest house. The biggest house The biggest in house in America. The Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilt's built this incredible, looming, massive thing that uh, had 30, 30 servants, cooks, maids, you name it. And uh, so Gurdjieff gives this wonderful parable, which is a house like that, the master is gone. And the gardener has become the chef, and the chef has become the maids, and the maids have become the chef. The house is all out of order, just join it. And so the idea is a human being is like this house, a hive of personalities, a hive of different motivations, and some of the motivations have become in charge of things they shouldn't have become in charge of, and some of the motivations are not serving their purpose in the way that they should, which means that if you are an, have an addictive personality, for example, and you are one of the people who think that you are someone who has fallen prey to a terrible thing, then you've missed something, which is that you're, there's nothing stronger than an addict. A heroin addict? Oh, the problem is his strength has been applied to poison and his strength has been applied to this terror. If you could take the motivation, the ambition of a heroin addict and move that in the direction of working out, serving people, then the heroin addict would turn into Gandhi. You know, the heroin addict could could have the, that kind of elemental force. So the point is this. If just because you don't feel gratitude doesn't mean that you can't express gratitude. And it doesn't mean that when you express gratitude because you don't feel it, you're somehow a fraud or a phony. Hell no. I don't believe that at all. I think that in any given moment, you're a blank slate making a decision. And that's where we get into the idea of What's the Buddhist name for nonviolence? Ahimsa. Ahimsa. And the idea is this. What do we do in the world? We got to simplify, right? So what do we do in the world? Number one, if you're around someone and you can help them, help them. Don't not help them because you don't feel like it. And this is, you know, don't not help them because you don't feel like it. So this is like a lot of people say, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to serve the people around me because I don't want to be a fraud in helping right, people right, right. just because if I help people, I'm going to get some credit. So that's now, the concept. Yeah. Now, another level. Do you have something to say? Huh. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, the whole point of them rambling too much is the point. But the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the point is this. If you can help people, help them. It doesn't matter if you feel like helping them or not. So if I'm on the street and I have no food or no money, and I'm cold, and somebody comes to me and gives me my, their jacket. What I don't ask is, 
are you doing this because you're really grateful about life and you want to help? <laughs> I'm not, I don't care yeah. their motivation. I just want the jacket. I need help. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you feel like doing it or not. If a house is burning down and there's someone in there that you can save and you think to yourself, well, the only reason I'm going to save this person is because I want to yeah. seem like a hero. And you yell to the person, sorry, I want to seem like a hero. So it's fraudulent if I come and save you. <laughs> the person's like, fuck you, get me out of the house. It doesn't matter how you feel is the yes, point. Yeah, you No, just absolutely. And you're so you're completely in line with, with Arthur. But there's another level of this, this from the soul level, Ramdas would say, or Jack would say, true nature, soul, true nature. Just different words to express that thing yes. that is going through this incarnation and has many influences from past incarnations, many influences from present incarnations, phenomena coming at it. And once that soul understands that it has a path to become fulfilled, to become free of uh, many of the mental uh, turbulence, much of the mental turbulence that a person yes. goes through, then like something like this where... Like I'm looking at this and going, no, it doesn't. He's saying it doesn't matter. You you don't need to be authentic. No, just try being grateful. Schmuck, yeah, right. Exactly. So it's somebody reading this and then starts to look at mindfully at what the ways in which they act on a day to day basis, in terms of gratitude. So I started thinking about my own in that way and where are my shortcomings. What are the lessons that I still need to learn? How, how do I transform whatever the boxes that I'm in mm. and so on? That's a whole other level from the level of he's talking about that there's a certain chromosome that you would have that... Please. That, but it's, it's not much different. The, the idea that you are free to do whatever it is that you need to do to make a decision about you are you are not completely free because you are bound by so much of past karma and so much of uh, the making of you the, your the making of your identity from the time that you're a child moving forward you have so many boundaries it takes to get to a point where you have the realization through psychedelics through unconditional love through a powerful experience, that there is a place from which that you can transform this stuff through all, all the things that we talk about. Yes. Mindfulness and meditation and chant and reading spiritual books, sure. meeting teachers, doing yoga, whatever it is. And so I think that that's an important thing to talk about when we talk about poo-pooing, you know, the fact that chromosomes don't matter or... The fact that uh, we are uh, completely free at any one moment to make a decision about it. I think you are. I mean, I, I, I just, I, I do. I, I think you are. I know what you're saying. I don't mean to poo-poo it, but it's like, you really can just do it. I'm looking for what else he's, he said some other interesting things here. Why not? Um, you don't think so. You, well, I man, I used to be, me and my friend used to get in these vicious arguments about this because I used to be a predeterminist, a genetic predeterminist. There's people who have predispositions, predispositions to alcoholism. There's people who have... Saraswati doesn't, dis, doesn't agree <laughs> with my, this idea. If you are really toxic in your body, 
you'd have to come right here if you want. You come right here. Sweetheart, all right, all right. And get right on. Top I'm just of saying, that. Duncan, that if you're really toxic in your body, day in day out, I think you're less inclined um, to having any kind of free will. I think there's a way in which you get rooted into um, a way of progressing your own pathology. Sure. And you tip the scale away and away and away from any chance to change. See, I don't, this is something Dr. I did a podcast with Dr. Drew mm -hmm. and he told me something terrifying. He said that and when after you have taken, you know, whatever the pill is, because that's his thing is that he's an addictionologist. So he's like, well, something happens in the brain of an addict where it begins to associate Vicodin or whatever the opiate is, Oxycontin with food and water so that you're the exact same thing that drives you to drink water is driving you to take these substances. So that means, I mean, if someone told, if you were in a situation where there's no water, you're going to do anything you can to find water. And an addict, if they're in a situation where there's no whatever, they're going to do whatever they can to do it. They'll do anything. They'll steal, they'll cheat, they'll lie, they'll kill, whatever they have to do because it's a survival-based instinct. And he told me that and I was chilling. And I thought about it for, for a while. But uh, no, I, I, I don't believe that. I believe uh, in the pure autonomy of the human spirit and regardless of the toxicity. Now, I'm not saying that it's not a battle. That's all I'm really saying. It's a battle. That just like to kind of, it seems a little bit like an up level to say, oh, anybody can change anytime. Anyone can go. Really hard. He, this is what I believe. Anyone, you're right. It is hard. Oh, I'm sorry. If I gave the impression, it's easy. No, no, no. Almost impossible. No, no, no. I, I mean, there, yeah, there is a simplistic Anyone? nature to how you're describing this that's way more complex in terms of people being able, even being able to do what he's saying here. You can just be grateful. You can. You don't have to actually feel grateful. You have to just get this into This is why I love the term jihad because no, 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 I'm not God, even kidding. Gonna... I'm not even kidding. I so we so okay. Let's take a person and imagine that the person is coming to an awareness of their true identity and find themselves in a human body in a life with all of these things that they've done in the past. So you're surrounded by an echo of every action that you've ever done in the form of all your friends, family, your living situation, the physical manifestation of whatever you've been putting into your body. Uh, so you're, so that's what, that's the battlefield. That is the battlefield of Kuruksetra. That is the battlefield of sacred truth. Now you are Arjun and you're in the chariot looking out at this great battle in front of you. For me, I want to get in shape, damn it. And I keep going to the gym and I keep getting out of it. That's my battle, right? So that is to me, I look out anytime I'm about to go to the gym, I become Arjuna looking out at the, at the, at the, at the battle and I drop the bow and I say, I will not fight. Every time I'm like, I'm not going to the gym. No way. Why? What's the point? Go to the gym. Look at me. I'll never change. There's no way to do it. I've always been semi fat. I've always been lazy. I'm not going to do it. What's the point? It's a waste of time. It's a narcissistic endeavor, blah, 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 blah. There's no reason to do it. And that is why I love that in chapter two of the Bhagavad Gita and Krishna, when the verse goes smiling in the midst of the two battlefields, Krishna said, you speak words of wisdom, but you do not understand. And then it gets into the whole essence of yoga and everything you just 
use the Bhagavad Gita to get yourself to the gym. This yes, is, yeah. and this is what I'm saying. This, 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 uh, this tremendous uh, entropic force, which is made up of our genetics, our past decisions, our past lives, if you want to go that deep, all of this is represents this great battle. But um, what's really beautiful about the concept of jihad in this way, or the sacred battle, which is what is represented in the Bhagavad Gita, it's a sacred battle, is that if you die on the battlefield of sacred duty, then you still win. If you fail in this pursuit to try to get out of the encumbrances that have accrued because of your past decisions and past lives, if you fail in this pursuit, this is where we get to that verse in the Bhagavad Gita, which I always like to say to myself because I am so demotivated, I never meditate. But Arjuna says to Krishna, what happens if a man falls out? What happens if you fall off of this path? What happens if you take it up for a little while and don't continue? And the response is something on the lines of, there is never any loss or diminution on this path. If a person uh, takes up this thing, there's never any loss or diminution. So that means that any step forward is a permanent, eternal step forward. But if a person falls away and becomes distracted, then I will give them birth in a family of disciplined men. Now, I think mm. that's a really beautiful thing yeah. because the idea is like, if you just get the slightest mm. bit of momentum going in this yes. direction, it's great. So that means that even if you, no matter what it is, the thing that you're encumbered by, if you just make the first steps in that direction, you've made eternal steps in that direction. And I will finish this rant by saying, and not only that, but the moment you take up arms in this battle of truth, and the moment you take up arms in this incredible battle, then you have become a fighter in this war that is raging all around the planet, which is a war of, of, of people fighting with the encumbrances that are keeping them from becoming something more loving, connected, beautiful, healthy. Ram, ram. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope it gets you to the gym. On what? Top of it. I hope this gets you to the gym. It does. It, it, it does. And if it doesn't, at least, <laughs> you know, it gives me something to loathe myself about. Oh, because, I, But it still, it does. It's a great yep. thing. Your encumbrances are your friends because your encumbrances are mm -hmm. the Goliath that gives you a chance to be some fan, some hero. If yeah. you didn't have great encumbrances, now, who cares? I am disturbed when you say that you don't meditate. How can you carry on all of this wonderful, wonderful philosophic wisdom with your audience and with them here with the mind rolling audience? And you're not setting a good example. And I want to encourage you to, I think you should take up the mindfulness and meditation course that we are giving right now. Do you not get the mail from I signed from, up for it. Okay, can you take the next step and actually download the meditation, listen to the Dharma talk? I didn't know. I thought they emailed me something. They did. They I didn't did. get anything after I signed up. I did sign up for it. I got the email and signed up for it. You did. Didn't get okay. any response. Oh, God. So it's your fault. Oh, Jesus. Ruined the whole life. <laughs> it's your fault. Oh, You're actively my. trying to keep me from meditating. It's some kind of conspiracy. No, I, we need you to take this damn thing, okay? And uh, and then see what happens. Because you can't keep saying, I don't meditate. Why? I don't. Why? What? Why? I got to play video games, man. Oh, no. I, how am I going to... You can't surf the net and meditate. Okay. We're really <laughs> going to get into... I'm making an active decision. If surfing the internet, if I meditated as much as I was online, 
I there I would be enlightened, enlightened by now. Yeah, there would be a temple right. built. I, I want to hear. Well, there's one story you mentioned. The story at the beginning of the uh, before we got on to the podcast, and uh, since we're at kind of the end, uh, this this should be a story that make a lot of people who think they want to go to India and not know the customs and fuck up here. Tell us that story. Okay, so we were in Varanasi. Uh, I went to India um, when I was in college at Warren Wilson. So we ended up in Varanasi. And the reason we ended up in Varanasi is... Which is Benares. It's Benares. called Kashi. It's the most ancient city in the east. It's where they burn... People go to die and they burn bodies 24-7. They have done that for thousands of years. It is the city and of burning. It, they call it the city of burning and learning. Yeah. But that's what someone told me it was there. But so the reason we went to Varanasi had nothing to do with any spiritual crap. We went there because an Australian told us you can get these things called bong lossies there, yeah. which was like <laughs> marijuana mixed in with yogurt. So we're yeah. all like, let's do it. Yeah. So we go to Varanasi uh, and this is like one of the most wretched mistakes I've made in my life, which is because I didn't know about eating marijuana back then, but uh, we were staying at this uh, this hotel and we told the guy at the hotel, we want a bong lossy because Australia just ask anybody, just tell me you want a bong lossy. And the guy got this funny look on his face. He's like, okay. So he comes back with a lossy and my friend and I share it. We drink this entire bong lossy and then not being aware of what happens when you eat marijuana because <laughs> we're you know brand new to the thing we're like why don't we get a boat and go out on the ganges river so we go suddenly we're in a boat on the ganges river as this starts kicking in and we both become as high as we'd ever been in our entire life <laughs> on the most sacred river on the planet gazing out at I think this is when I really realized how India is a different dimension because you know it's guys with bells and candles and bodies burning and the sun is setting and monkeys are running on rooftops and both of our brains are exploding my friend leaned into me and said the oarsman is using telepathy to control my mind <laughs> <laughs> we're like oh no but anyway, so as we're in Varanasi, this is not the same day. We we went back to the hotel, curled up in the fetal position. The power went out. We thought we were going to die, but everything turned. We didn't die. But then we were walking uh, by the Ganges River, and there's all these little temples everywhere, yeah. and tiny little temples. And so these um, Shaivites, of course, at the time, I didn't even know that was the right word for it, dreadlocks. <laughs> These Shaivites invite us into the temple to smoke chillums with them, to get high with them. They were like, come, come, come. So we go into the temple to smoke weed with these Shaivites, and I leaned against the wall and knocked a picture of Shiva <laughs> off the wall. And oh, they were God. all, and they were singing these beautiful kirtans. They were freaked out. My friends looked at me like I'd just killed a baby i was mortified they were like no no and, but then they they uh they were very sweet because they just made me move away from the shiva picture oh. but then they kept singing these kirtans it was really beautiful oh, i yeah. still remember how beautiful it sounded but yeah knocked a shiva picture off a wall in a shiva temple yeah so next time you go to india everybody uh, and you have your uh bung lassi which everybody does when they go to benares it's very famous 
probably stay in your room it would be a, a good no lesson. go yeah. on the river experience you know what it. i did i went with my friend the first time i went there and we had bong lassies and went down to where they burned the bodies and sat there all day and meditated and uh, that was quite a transformative experience, to say the very least. I still remember the first burning body I saw was standing on one of the observation towers, looking mm. down, an old man's body melting in the fire. Mm. And there's a little Indian kid trying to practice his e- practicing English with me. I, or, I don't. He wasn't Indian. I don't know what he is. Which ethnicity? But he's he's saying as this. I just remember because this fire is burning, and he's going one. Two, he's counting three, four. It was just the weirdest thing because he's trying to count in English like it's the most normal thing (laughs) as this body is being incinerated in front of us. Amazing, amazing place. Yeah. I got sick there. Yeah. Well, everybody gets sick there. Um, This is it. We're at the end of this thing. Thanks, Dunk. I don't even, you know what? I don't think we've told anybody, I don't think I mentioned, I said my guru is here today. My podcast grew, but I never mentioned your name. This whole oh, podcast, nobody great. knows who the <laughs> hell I'm talking to. Everybody knows. But Duncan Trussell, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's such a treat to have you here in Asheville, too, hanging out with us. Thanks had, for inviting Cor and I over. It's been had such Kedri a great day. We and Chai, by the, the way. The best. It was like being in India. Yeah, the chai was delicious, too. You make the best chai. Thank you, thank you. So, everybody, Mind Rolling. This is Mind Rolling. And on the MindPod Network, you also should go and check out Duncan's show, duncantrussell.com. That's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, In case there's somebody, it's hard to spell your name, D-U-N-C-A-N-T-R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Two S's, two two L's. Yeah, two S's, two L's. That's important. And uh, yeah, please do follow Duncan and follow Mind Rolling and continue the support. And we'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week on Mind Rolling. Hare Krishna. Ram Ram.